Shri Gauri Vaishnava Guru Parampara ki jai. Krantara Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai. Oh, Premanandi. So, continuing our discussion of the great Grantaraj Srimad Bhagavatam. We're in the seventh chapter. We're in the concluding section of the seventh chapter of the first canto, which begins the narrative of Sri Krishna's pastimes. And as I pointed out in my last class, these pastimes more or less pick up where the Bhagavad Gita leaves off. We know that the Bhagavatam is the sequel, in a sense, to the Gita. Philosophically, that's the case. The Gita leads up to surrender, sharanagati, sarvadharman pritya-jamamikam sharanam raja. Stepping on the head of Dharma. Sarva Dharman Pratyaja. Normal and ordinary, uh, if you will, uh, Vedic religious path. Steps on the head of that. That is rejected. Hmm? And the advocacy is there, take shelter of Krishna. And don't worry. Masucha, nothing will happen to you. You will not be no uh, transgression. Hmm? Um, for foregoing any particular uh, measure of adherence to the Dharma Mark, now with faith, enter the Bhakti Marg. Hmm? And the Bhagavatam picks up philosophically with the same idea. Dharma Projita Kaitavotra Paramoni Matsaram Satam. This book is about Prema Dharma for the non envious. It's the Paramhamsa Marg. It's uh, it's not about uh, Dharma, Artha, Kama or even Moksha. Hmm? Not about religiosity and economic development, sense indulgence, and the license to uh, pursue such, uh, nor about liberation, but praying. So this is, the, as I say, the philosophical sequel. And the Gita, from a, from a narrative point of view, ends just as the battle of Kurukshetra is about to start. We're deep there into the, into the Mahabharata, hmm? the great... Epic, and Krishna has given his instructions to Arjun, and we assume that he's he's taken them up. He's entered the battle, and he's entered he's really entered the battle of slaying his ego, if you will, and his attachments, all in the context of developing attachment for Krishna. And so here in Bhagavatam, now we've come to the seventh chapter, and, and what we've been hearing thus far is, is an explanation, really, of the text itself from different angles. Hmm? Um, the sages' questions in the first chapter gave rise to, cert, rise to certain answers from Sutta Goswami that had to be, given the nature of their questions, the essential message of Srimad Bhagavatam that he had heard from his own Siksha Guru, Sukadeva Goswami. So as he begins to answer the questions, of course, in the second chapter, he offers his respects to Sukadeva with two beautiful verses. Sukadeva is just mentioned therein, and uh, then he goes on to answer their questions based on what he had heard from Sukadeva when Sukadeva explained the Bhagavatam to the Raj, to the king, Maharaj Parikshit. Hmm. And some history then of the uh, that which came before Sukadev's speaking of the Bhagavatam was uh, raised, and uh, the story of Nard's enlightening Vyas, Vyasa's despondency, and so forth. Um, Owing to the fact that he had not sufficiently emphasized bhakti and Sri Krishna, and so for a couple of chapters there, three, 
chapters or so. Um, the Bhagavad was again given by Narada to Vyasa in about 12, 13, 14 verses, the essence of it. Then he explained that essence that he had given to him in abstract philosophical language in the form of a narrative, repeated it, narrative of his own life, hmm? his own enlightenment. Hmm? And sages, having heard that, asked, well, what happened next? You can imagine, they were on the edge of their seats. And um, Sudha Goswami explained that Vyas, as he had been advised by Narada, went into a trance. This gave rise to the Bhagavatam. What was in that trance has explained his experience of the, the Parma Purusha, Sri Krishna, his Sarup Shakti, his Maya Shakti, and the Jeev Shakti. Hmm. And This lays the then kind of metaphysical foundation for the book. A book that explains Bhagavan and his various shaktis, a oneness and a difference. Shaktis, energies, potencies that are dependent upon him have no independent existence, but nonetheless um, function differently, so to speak. So, uh, Having explained that, then uh, Sutta Goswami said, then, coming out of the trance, he wrote the Bhagavatam. Then he taught it to his son. Why did he teach it to his son? Again, that is Sukadev, who had already been described, as I said earlier on, as being completely renounced and the guru of Sutta Goswami and so forth. And so, a very important section. We understand what was Vyasa's realization, and then we're here now what Sukadev's realization was. Now Sukadev moved beyond Mukti to Bhakti and uh, thus became interested in Bhagavatam. So such is the nature of the subject. And, um, and, and then in our last class, Maharaj Raj Pariksit himself was introduced. And as I said, these following chapters are all a build-up and uh, through narrative of different uh, historical events in the, in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the leela of, of Sri Krishna, um, leading up to the, the the official and formal appearance of Sukadev, the cursing of the king, and the speaking of the Bhagavatam, in that context, which begins in the second uh, canto. Quite a bit now we're going to hear uh, over these chapters of glorification of Raj Prikshit and the family, hmm, so to speak of Krishna, the extended family. This is outside of the Braj now. Hmm? The Pandava family. Hmm? Arjuna is introduced into the text as the narrative begins, who was, of course, the person in the in the Gita that uh, uh, Krishna was speaking to and uh, gave his uh, instructions and his final instruction too. So, as I say, there's a, this is the natural sequel to the Gita. Gita is one thing that Krishna said, one conversation with Arjuna. He had many conversations and uh, a uh, very extraordinary leela with many friends and family members and even enemies and so on and so forth. And this is all, then the life of Bhagavan is all played out here. Hmm? The Bhagavad Gita is like Prabhupada once called the philosophy, the, the civilization of intelligence, spiritual intelligence in the Gita, the civilization of the soul itself. Hmm. So apply your intelligence spiritually in the direction of Guru, Shastra, and so forth, in such a way that you enter into the life of the, the, the possibilities of the soul itself, of consciousness. Hmm. What is consciousness? This is a large part of the subject of the Gita. What its possibilities are are also discussed in relation, that is, to Bhagavan, its, its potential, its possibilities, um, uh, grow exp- exponent- exponentially. It's a unit of experiencing uh, experiential existence and its capacity to experience 
the nature of existence uh, is enhanced and, as I say, well, expanded exponentially by contact with Bhagavan Sri Krishna. So this is what's happening in the Bhagavat, and this idea then is being fully played out. So Prichit Marsh is glorified with a few words, and then um, I want to go through this chapter in a, in a, in a somewhat of a cursory way and, and uh, with regard to the narrative and stop on some of the important verses and we'll see how philosophical points that have been brought up before bring, are being brought up again and again in different ways and through different people speaking the same same things with nuance and so on and so forth. So there are some foundational points that the book wants to drive home. And uh, we'll try to go, go through those. This chapter is entitled, Prabhupada entitles it, The Son of Drona Punished. So that uh, narrative is beginning here and it has much to do with the uh, the glory of uh, Maharaj Pariksit. I'll read Prabhupada's translation here to verses 13 and 14. He says, When the respective warriors of both camps, namely the Kauravas and the Pandavas, were killed on the battlefield of Kurukshetra, and dead warriors obtained their deserved destinations. And when the son of Vritarashtra fell down, lamenting, his spine broken, being beaten by the club of Bhishma, saying, The son of Dronacharya, Ashvatama, beheaded the five sleeping sons of Draupadi and delivered them as a prize to his master, foolishly thinking that he would be pleased. Duryodhana, however, disapproved of the heinous act and was not pleased in the least. Draupadi, the mother of the five children of the Pandavas, after hearing of the massacre of her sons, began to cry in distress with eyes full of tears, trying to pacify her in, great, her, in her great loss. Arjun spoke to her thus, O gentle lady, when I present you with the head of that Brahman, after beheading him, with the arrows of my Gandiva bow. I shall then wipe the tears from your eyes and pacify you. Then, after burning your sons in the cremation, you could take your bath standing on that man's head. Arjun, who was guided by his, the infallible Lord as friend and driver, thus satisfied the dear lady by such statements. Then he dressed in armor, armed himself with furious weapons, and getting into the chariot, he set out to follow Ashvatama, the son of his martial teacher. Ashvatama, the murderer of princes, seeing him from a great distance, Arjun, coming at him with great speed, fled in his chariot, panic-stricken, just to save his life, in the same way that Brahma fled in fear from Shiva. When the son of the Brahmin Ashvatama saw that the horses were tired, he considered that there was no alternative for protection outside of using the ultimate weapon, the Brahmastra. Since his life was in danger, he touched water in sanctity and concentrated upon the chanting of the hymn for throwing the nuclear weapons. Although he did not know how to withdraw such weapons, thereupon, glaring at the gl- a glaring light spread in all directions, and it was so fierce that Arjun thought his own life in danger, and so he began to address Lord Sri Krishna. So some shocking events and some strong language hmm? in the Chatriya Dharma. Hmm? The uh, uh, talk amongst the warrior class. Hmm? So Ashvatama did a very abominable deed by um, even the estimation of uh, his uh, master, for whom he he uh, he did the act and thought who who he thought would be pleased. He wasn't pleased, and Draupadi was of course thrown into uh, distress. In this chapter, we'll find that although here. Draupadi appears to be pacified by the strong words of Arjun. Her uh, soft-heartedness and compassion hmm, is uh, 
brought out later in the text. And Arjun's moral wisdom uh, with regard to how to deal with Ashvatthama, which turns out to be different than what he says he's going to do here. Hmm? Sometimes in a, in a, in a, in a, in a moment of uh, outrage, we may say um, anything. Hmm? So we, we, this is Leela, of course, so we find this in the Leela. It has a parallel to our ordinary lives and so forth. So Arjun's speaking loud, but we find that he, he, he's not going to do what he uh, said he was going to do. Hmm? Neither would it have, would it have pacified uh, Draupadi. Hmm? Uh, but the uh, inappropriate act, actions of Ashvatam have to be dealt with. As I said, it brings up a moral dilemma here, and, and Krishna uh, prods his devotees to uh, see um, what, what their understanding is. He tests them and so forth. But now, at the moment, Arjuna is in a great uh, difficulty because this, this uh, Brahmasta weapon has been um, fired or whatever, chanted by, by uh, Ashwatthama. Uh, the uh, idea here is, of course, that um, in an overarching sense that the chanting of mantras is not just a mumbling of sounds, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, as some people would say. Uh, you can chant anything and so forth. No, there's a, there's a a subtle kind of Vedic uh, science to this and uh, they should be received from the right person and so on and so forth and chanted in the right way. So we hear that Ashvatthama, he touched the water, he did some ritual, then he chanted the mantra and and so on and so forth. Prabhupada in this section will make emphasis, as he did here, on the Brahmastra as like a nuclear weapon and so forth, so on and so forth. But what he really wants to do here hmm, in in any type of discussion like that is to um, downplay in the minds of his disciples the accomplishments of the modern uh, technological scientific world, which do glare and have an appearance of substance hmm, that might make living out in the jungle in Costa Rica and uh, rising in the morning and singing and dancing and so forth look a little antiquated and um, uh, well not not uh, up to date with the latest insights and so on and so forth uh, certainly there are new insights but how new um, when they constitute arguably better or arguably not better, ways of eating, sleeping, mating, and defending, basically. Prabhupada was fond of saying, dog is running on four legs and barking, man is riding on four wheels and blowing the horn. So what is the difference? It's it's rather penetrating uh, uh, insight, s- simple as it, as it is. It, it, it's, it's such statements seek to put, as I say, the uh, material advancement of science and technology for its own sake hmm, in perspective. That isn't to say that we don't appreciate technological developments or that uh, in the times of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu or um, uh, the, uh, the, the Leelas or the Bhagavatam and so forth, people weren't um, improving their lives and, and, and uh, to some extent uh, Pursuing such, indeed, this was this is the Kshatriya Dharma to improve things. The Rajaguna that predominates in the lives and the psyche of the warrior class, the administrative class, is all about improving things, material betterment, moving up the ladder, making the house bigger, so on and so forth. So there is a place for that, hmm? but in ancient uh, Hindu society, um, as I say, they weren't without technological insight of the time. Indeed, they were quite scientific and uh, with the application of mathematics that um, they uh, engaged in to 
figure out times and 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 and, and uh, they kind of map the world hmm, uh, in relation to time with regard to the performance of ritual and so forth. So this is what they were about. They were they were looking at the world in a different way for a different result. Hmm. So they would employ uh, such things, but within limits. That's why I say we we as Vaishnavas to some extent. For some time, at least, we have to live in two worlds. We have to live in the world of uh, modern accomplishments, and we have to live in the Vaishnav world. And we have great respect for the accomplishments within limits. We don't pay dandavats to that, but we appreciate and we take advantage of certain uh, developments. Hmm. But unto themselves, as an ends we find this un, un, unholy and um, and very much um, leaning to, it lends to being at the cost of um, the self. So, at any rate, Prabhupada in his own way was very um, bent on, on um, here he had to come, you know, to America when he wrote back uh, to Narayan Maharaj, who was um, he had known from Mathura and asking for a murdanga, uh, there's some letters. In, in one of the letters, he he expressed how the whole city of New York is is uh, it's all um, lit up. What did he say? Uh, like the, the, there's so many lights at night that it's like the daytime out, hmm. and uh, and everybody everybody has their their, their, uh, their own car and they drive it themselves. In India, it would be someone had, a rare person had a car and they had a driver. You know, everybody's got the car; they drive it themselves. There's so many lights; and it's, it's like a different uh, planet. Hmm. And here he's coming, you know, humble sadhu with a couple of books, you know, printed in India, <laughs> which would not not be the highest uh, binding and uh, standards, and he didn't have much of a budget either. So a chest full of books and and uh, you know wrapped up in a, in some cloth and uh, a beggar ostensibly on the streets of uh, New York. So he had some. A lot to compete with to get the attention of of people, mm-hmm. but of course there is some sympathy for um, spirituality and the sense that there's more to life in 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 human society. It's quite natural. Of course, there is something more to life, and it's us, and um, uh, and we are constituted of consciousness, not matter, <clears throat> and so. To emphasize these kinds of points, he would make points in chapters like this, wherein um, he would describe the Brahmastra like a nuclear weapon, by way of saying they had nuclear weapons and and but they could control them, not like nuclear weapons of today that they drop and you know they can't can't control them and uh, in, in a simple way it kind of awakened faith. It, it would happen. It, it helped to to deconstruct any faith that we his young disciples might have had in in uh, in the modern world in pursuance of its uh, ideals hmm? it was helpful hmm? but um, here um, other than such uh, mentions of the weapons and so on and so forth uh, again the idea that there are there's a subtle science of of mantra, there's inner life. Uh, the whole description of the cosmos, if you will, on the part of the, the Hindus, had a correspondence with the inner yogic life of the return of consciousness to its source. And of course, in bhakti, more its source being Mahavishnu and then beyond, by the grace of Mahabhru, for example, in Chaitanya Vaishnavism. But anyway, to its source in a general sense, hmm? the return of consciousness to its source, and the world is circling in this way also, and it's, it's all. The inner world is 
reflected on and the outer world is looked at from that perspective and spoken about in such a way it will turn us inward. This is the kind of movement that the Bhagavatam seeks to uh, um, engage us in. Hmm? So, um, so here, Arjuna now is in, is in the context of the narrative. He's in trouble. The Brahmastra weapon has been unleashed. It's, it's powerful. And so he approaches who? Krishna. This is one of the main points now of the chapter. Hmm? He says, Krishna Krishna Mahabaho Bhaktanam Abhayankara Tom Eko Dayamananam Apabaragosi Samsrite so Here begins three, four verses of glorification of Sri Krishna. We'll find some reiteration of philosophical principles that have been explained in some detail previously. Hmm? These things have to be repeated again and again that they might sink in from different angles, as I said. But here, along with that, what has been repeated, something very nice is coming out. It says, Krishna Krishna Mahabaho Bhaktanam Abhayankara He's speaking about the idea here that Krishna uh, protects his devotees. He loves his devotees. Krishna is directly being spoken about here now in the context of the Leela. And this is how it begins. Basically saying Krishna loves his devotees. It's a very beautiful starting point. How much he loves his devotees. What We'll see what he will do for them. Here, he's, he, in, in these, this uh, uh, chapter, in the beginning of the next chapter, he breaks his promise for his devotees. Hmm? Um, he actually interferes. The, the Brahmastra is thrown in this chapter. There'll be another one thrown in the next chapter, hmm? to correct to, and directly at the womb of Uttara, where Parikshit is is residing, about to take birth. Now Krishna will go there and enter and protect him. He took a vow not to get involved in the whole war. This is still part of the for the wars. Another instance of that. So this is a very huge. Um, theological point. Krishna loves his devotees. Krishna protects his devotees. Krishna Krishna Mahabaho Bhaktanam Abhayankara. Hmm? He says that uh, the uh, uh, the devotees have uh, Bhaktanam, the, the devotees have nothing to fear. Hmm? Because Krishna is their protector. This is one of the principles of um, Sharanagati. Rakshikshatidibishvashvo. That Krishna is my protector. So Arjuna is, a, is he's in a difficult situation. His hands up. Krishna, protect me. He says, Krishna, Krishna, Mahabaho. He means, oh Krishna, Krishna of, of strong arms. Here Krishna is showing forearms. Surely. Hmm? You know, in this Leela, as in the Kurukshetra Leela, Krishna showed four arms sometimes, sometimes two arms. Even to Arjuna, he showed four arms, he showed two arms. Most of the people in the battle saw him as four-armed. Hmm? Arjuna mostly saw him as two-armed, but sometimes as four-armed. He says, Mahabaho, here he's saying, you got four arms. What we'll find in this chapter also is that between two devotees, Bhima and um, Draupadi, Krishna has to get in the middle and hold him off. He needs four arms for that. Hmm? You're saying this, she's saying that. Hmm? So uh, he, he, he has to separate the two sides of his devotees and he'll get Arjuna to come in and harmonize between them and bring a solution to the moral dilemma that they face in this, uh, in this section. Hmm? So, uh, Krishna, hmm. oh, strong-armed, hmm. Mahabaho, hmm. There's no limit. Well, he says, uh, uh, you are, on account of your forearms, the ideas, uh, and and beyond that, your affectionate nature, you're competent to instill fearlessness in the hearts of your devotees. Tom eko daimaninam. Apabargo si 
Samsrite. Now, while he's speaking about an event in the apparent physical life of Arjun, whereupon he's in difficulty, and the Burmaster weapon has been released. Hmm? He says here, you're competent to protect your devotees, they have no fear. Hmm? And why? Tvam eko dayamananam. He basically says, because you are liberation personified. Apabargo, see, samsrite. Because you deliver the devotees from all material miseries, you give them liberation, you free them from, from material suffering altogether comprehensively. So while he's praying for Krishna's help, approaching him, in an apparent need with regard to his immediate physical well-being and so forth, hmm, we find that that he, at the same time, in a bigger sense, a larger sense, he wants to tell us, this is what Krishna should be approached for. He can solve the whole material problem altogether, hmm? not just the symptoms. Now, should we approach Krishna for material problems, so to speak, that we um, run into? We need money, or we need um, uh, protection in some instance, physically, or should we only pray for the right things, so to speak? We should, in one sense, not see our lives as material at all. Hmm? If we're engaging in, in a, as a sadhaka, hmm? and um, then we should see all everything as philosophically in light of our spiritual pursuit. Hmm? And if we develop the tendency to take shelter of Krishna, for that matter, in any instance, that will be good for us. Even if someone does pray for something material, we say, the Bhagavatam says, pray to Krishna for that. Hmm? When Sugadeva begins to speak the Bhagavatam in the second canto, hmm, he'll go through, he'll tell Raj, Raj Pariksit, if you want good health, you worship the sun god. If you want this, you worship that god. He goes through all different gods and for different purposes and so forth. And then he says, but, hmm, what is that verse? Uh, um, hmm. Akama sarvakamu va moksha kamo daradi to reina bhakti yogina yajeta purusham param. That's how he concludes that section. Worship this god for this, this god for that, and so on and so forth. But overall, whatever you want, akama, if you have no desire, sarvakamu va, or you have all kinds of material desires, or you have moksha kama. A desire for liberation. Tivrena bhakti yogena yajetam purushampara. Worship Krishna with in, intensely in bhakti yoga. Hmm? This is the recommendation. So let the tendency for taking shelter of Krishna come within us. Hmm? This is the idea. And beyond that, we're living a serious spiritual life. We should, we should be able to start to see problems apparent problems and so forth as as that which is coming to help me to make progress and so forth spiritually. So there's no, there's no more material life, hmm? only spiritual uh, progress. So anyway, he takes it to the full measure here when he says that Krishna frees his devotees from all fear. Ultimately, it means he frees them from material existence altogether, hmm? which is predominantly pervaded by fear. This is the overriding influence of material existence. Some anxiety, some uncomfort, discomfort, um, fear, basically. Tomadya purusha sakshad ishvara prakrite para mayam vyudasya chitchaktya kaivalye stitahatmani seiva jivalokasya maya mohita chetasa Vidhatse svena virena shreyo dharmadi lakshanam. So here he started glorifying Krishna, the protector of his devotees, hmm, who instills fearlessness in them, hmm, who is liberation personified, so by whose association they become free from all miseries, 
Hmm? Now he, he he goes on from there. Hmm? What does he introduce here? He introduces the, the, the Swarup Shakti, the Maya Shakti, and the Jiva Shakti, which we just heard earlier on in the chapter, hmm? in the context of Vyasa's trance, as explained by Sutta Goswami. Now Arjuna, in the narrative, in, glor- in, in a glorification of Krishna, hmm? He wants to preface, if you will, his petition of Krishna with a nice and accurate glorification of who Krishna is. He's the deliverer of his devotees. He is liberation personified. Hmm? And Tomadya Purusha Sakshad. He is directly the, the, the original person. Tomadya hmm? Purusha Sakshad. You are directly, you, Tom? Adya Purusha, Yadi Purush, the original person. I mean, the fountainhead of all mm, avatars and so forth. So here he, he begins, Krishna's too, Bhagavan Svayam, he's saying here, this famous line of the Bhagavatam. It's another way, he's, it's another place where it's being said. Hmm? You are the Adi Purusha, you are the original person. Ishvara prakrite para mayam vidasya chitchaktya kaivalya istitatmani. He says, the effects, the influence, Ishvara Prakritepara, you are uh, the Ishwar and you are transcendental to the influence of Prakriti, material material nature. We heard it earlier on hmm, that Maya Chatad Apashrayam, the context of Vyasa's trance, and he saw Maya at a distance. Parama Purusha, hmm? that Supreme Krishna he saw, along with his Swarup Shakti, and Maya Chata Dapashrayam, he saw Maya at a distance. Same thing is being said here. Hmm? You are the original person, and the material energy, Ishvara, Para, you are transcendental to that, you are the controller of that. She has no influence over you. Maya can have no influence over you. Who mayam yudasya chitchaktya, koyvalya istita atmani. Who are one with your own chitchakti. So here, the chitchakti means the srup shakti is directly mentioned in the Vyasa trance. It's implied. Here, he's directly mentioning it. So, don't think. Well, it's only implied. Maybe it's not there. Here, Arjuna is directly bringing it out. You and your chitchakti are one. Well. Uh, what does it mean? It means, yes, Krishna is one with his shaktis and he's different from them. Hmm? This is the Veda Ved. Hmm? But with regard to his chit shakti or his sarup shakti, he's more one hmm? than he is different. And regarded as maya shakti, he's more different than he is one. <laughs> hmm? What is the more different and what is the more one? Hmm? He's more different from the material energy because he's consciousness. He is experiential reality. And Maya is the, that's subjective, Maya is the objective world that is experienced. It doesn't matter if there's nobody to matter about it. Hmm? So that Chit Shakti is like Krishna. It's his own Shakti. It means when he the implication is that when he consorts with his Swarup Shakti, which is Bhakti, he doesn't go outside of himself. If Krishna, the philosophical point here is if he is Atmarama, Krishna, self-satisfied, hmm, then why does he need anybody else for his satisfaction? Therefore, the Chit Shakti, the Swarup Shakti, is non-different from him in a, in a, in a, in a in the fullest sense. Hmm? It is his own, it's his swarup shakti, it's the shakti of his own swarup, it's, 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 it's the swarup ananda, the ananda, the joy that is within him, comes out and personifies. We call this Radha Krishna Pranay, Vikuti Ladini Shakti Rasmad. Hmm? One Krishna becoming two, hmm? forever. Radha manifests, the Swarup Shakti manifests, Swarup Shakti Ananda manifests from the Swarup Ananda. Hmm? 
and Krishna now has Krishna now has an object of love, and Krishna can become the object of love. But this object, subject, object, is all within the realm of consciousness. Like I like to say, Krishna is a consciousness other, a significant consciousness other. Hmm? That's <laughs> that's required if if the the atomic ananda in our constitution is to have its uh, uh, full uh, potential of uh, expression. Love requires another, and the other must be one with you. Hmm? You see? Love is is the difference and a unity at the same time. It requires another, and the another must be one with you. So the swarup shakti is he's saying, and this chit shakti is one with you. Hmm? Radha and Krishna are one. Hmm? They appear, uh, Kavirajka says, one soul appearing in two bodies. Something like that. Hmm? It's that equation of, you know, you can't have a teacher without students. Hmm? You can't have a god without. Uh, in any meaningful sense, without devotees, <laughs> so Radha is bo- is Radha is is the God, and the devotee. She's more than Krishna. Krishna is only the God. Radha is the God, who's become two, hmm? but she's devotee also. She's deity and ideal of devotion, both for us. The very personification. Of, of Bhakti, Bhakti Devi, and, and she becomes the channel by which the drop and the ocean, ourselves being the drop and Krishna the ocean, we unite. Hmm? And she doesn't want to put herself in the center. Hmm? But Gaudi Vaishnavism wants to, that means Krishna wants to put her in the center. Hmm? Krishna coming, we say Krishna coming to taste the, the, the love of Radha. Hmm? True, but Krishna coming to broadcast, what is the love of Radha? Hmm? In a way that he cannot do in Golok. Krishna can't go around, Radha's the greatest! Hmm? He cannot say that. <laughs> he cannot say that to the yogis, he cannot say that in Vaikuntha, he cannot even say that in Braj. Hmm? For <coughs> other reasons. Hmm? In Vaikuntha and in, in the uh, hearts of the yogis, uh, for, for different reasons he cannot say. Hmm? They will turn their head around. Hmm. Uh, they'll have to stop their practice. They have to do some other practice. Uh, in in Golok, in the Braj, then he cannot say it for, for other reasons, for reasons of Leela and so forth. She's the Vrindabhaneshwari, but that that is something that we are trumpeting. The lead we are following, of course, is Krishna himself coming to this world. Hmm. We say Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna coming to taste the love of Radha. That's that's true. Hmm. He's also coming to, 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 to glorify that here. Hmm? This is a place he can say it. Hmm? So she is ideal of devotion, hmm? and she is one with him. Hmm? The, the love of Krishna and Krishna, they're one. You can't have Krishna, the object of love, without love of Krishna. You can't have Rasa without two, and the two must be one. Hmm? So they're one, Therefore, the devotee and Krishna, or Ram and Krishna, same idea, extended idea, in terms of the devotee, who is imbued with or infused with the Surup Shakti, the Ladini Shakti, the Samvit Shakti. The Jiva is mentioned here in the next verse. Right? Saeva Jiva Lokasya, Maya Mohita Chaitasa. Same as he was mentioned here previously when Vyasa's trance was described. He doesn't mention the jiva here, Arjuna in this case, just like Sutta Goswami earlier. He doesn't mention the jiva without mentioning the influence of maya. On the jiva, that maya does not have on Bhagwan, right? Maya Shakti is at a distance, cannot influence. The jiva influenced by maya. The chit shakti is the answer to that, is the solution to that. Hmm? Because chit shakti can overwhelm Krishna. Maya can never touch her. Maya can touch us. If chit shakti comes to us, 
Maya has no no hold whatsoever. She must let go. And then we, under the influence of the Shakti, have the capacity to overwhelm Krishna. This is bhakti. That we are, as a jiva, we are kind of encased in maya. As a devotee in prem, we are infused with the with the maya of the, or the energy of the, of the, of the, with the Swarup Shakti. There's a difference between being encased and being infused. Hmm. Do you follow me? Hmm? Maya never touches us. People say there's a big quandary in uh, the scientific community. If there is something, let's say consciousness, that's supernatural, non-physical, how does it influence the physical world? How does it touch it? How does it move it? Of course, they're saying, how can we measure it? How We can't see it. Of course, you can't see it. It's the measurer. How can you measure it? Hmm? It's what's doing the measuring. That's You're trying to objectify that. Hmm? It's not objectifiable. Hmm? But besides that, how, well, how does it influence the world? In one sense, it observes it. Hmm? Gita says, modes of nature are operative. Hmm? The soul's doing nothing. It's observing, and and it's living in its observation of material nature. It's not even touching it. The soul never touches material nature. Hmm? It's living. It's living wholly, entirely in consciousness. It's obser- It's living in its own observation of. Hmm? Of course, that's giving rise to the false ego and so forth. Hmm? So encased, so to speak, hmm? like uh, like a bird in a cage, something like that. Hmm? But in relation to bhakti, you might think, well, if the jiva shakti has a material body that's different from it, and then it comes under the influence of the sarup shakti, and the sarup of the jiva, his form, He's made of the Sarup Shakti, then he's different from his form there too. Do you understand? But no. That kind of thinking is a result of our preoccupation with the objective world and the mixing of um, material things. This is a mixture of from the subjective realm. Hmm? Therefore, Someone says, well, is, does the jiva get transformed hmm, by the sarup shakti? And if it does, is it any longer the jiva shakti? It's always the jiva shakti. It's always the tasta shakti. Then what is the influence of the sarup shakti? Does it change? My answer is, do you change when you fall in love? Yes and no. You're the same entity. Hmm? But this is very subjective. You fall in love. This is not like, what happens if I mix red and yellow? Well, you know, I'll get orange. I'll get another thing, a transformation. What if I can't mix matter and the jiva? I can try to mix material things. Now when I think about that, being preoccupied with that side of life, illusory life, I start to think about, Mixing with the sarup shakti, being influenced by the sarup shakti, don't carry that with you. This is a subjective mixture. Again, the chit shakti is consciousness, and we are also consciousness. Hmm? Therefore, we're more like the chit shakti, and we're more like Bhagawan. We're more one with him than we are different. The maya shakti is more different. Hmm? We're more like him. Hmm? Not enough like him, in a sense, to overwhelm him. Hmm? And to be uh, um, one with him in the way that a devotee can be, a, 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 a premika, hmm? but under the influence of that prem, that bhakti, then yes, and that is an infusion rather than being in, encased in maya shakti, it would be infused with the sarup shakti, and so it's really a, that is the ex- bhakti extending herself to us, by which, well. If we look at Bhakti Devi as Radhika, because she's in love with Krishna, so she extends herself to herself to us through Guru Parampara, means she's extending her love for Krishna to us. 
Mm. So we're falling in love with Krishna also. And we're, we're changing, but we're not changing. <laughs> Our constitution is not changing as Jeev uh, Shakti, but now we have the uh, infusion of the Surup Shakti. So what are we as a Jeev? We're a unit of ex subjective experiential existence with the influence of the Surup Shakti, the Sandini Shakti, the Samvit, and Ladini, which constitute it. Our capacity to experience, as I said earlier, expands exponentially. Hmm? Without the contact of Bhagwan hmm, and Bhakti proper, if there was a way to remove the encasement of Maya that we are within, hmm, then we would know that we exist forever and it would be as blissful as that is a relief to know. That's why I say that in that situation we would love to, we, 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 we're, we, the, the soul loves to exist. Hmm? But there's more to ex experiential existence, the idea is, in the Bhagavad, than even than experiencing Brahman. Hmm? You know, Bhagavan in an abstract sense, the result of which is release from material existence altogether. Hmm? And so with the ingress of Supshakti, our capacity to experience is enhanced. We are a unit of experiential existence and our capacity to experience is enhanced. It's, it's, it's expanded, hmm? as I say, exponentially. And we can enter into Leela and so forth. So this, is, this idea of these three Shaktis is again coming up, again coming up. Hmm? Krishna is one with the Swarup Shakti. He does not go outside of his Swarup Shakti. That's why I say he's Atmaram. He's self-satisfied. When he said, well, he he goes to his Swarup Shakti for satisfaction. That means no. He doesn't go outside of his his self. Hmm? That's that's what is meant here by the idea, the emphasis here that the Swarup Shakti is one with him. Hmm? And therefore, when we become infused with the Surup Shakti, then Krishna consorts with us. Hmm? Otherwise, the Ananda in the Jeev is not have the does not have the capacity to overwhelm Krishna. Indeed, it is so minute that the Maya Shakti can overwhelm it and turn our lives into misery. Hmm? So many implications from this um, um, but uh, uh, important to stress that bhakti is an ontological reality in the metaphysics of Gaudiya Vaishnavism it descends to us it engages us it engages our senses our tongue and chanting our ears and hearing and so forth hmm? it comes from down and from down from up to down and brings us up Hmm? It gives us a possibility that we have a potential for, but without the connection with bhakti, we can never realize. Um, sometimes the idea of an inheritance is given. So if you have an inheritance, well, unless it's given to you and the, say the, everybody signs off on it and so forth, it's there in potential, hmm? but you cannot experience it. Hmm? So bhakti is like the treasure of the jeev, Mahaprabhu told Sanatana Goswami. It's in your chart. Hmm. You don't have to worry. Golok is in your in the in your planet. The planet the planet in your chart. Now Golokero Premodhan Harinam Sankirtan. We've come into the flow of Harinam Sankirtan. This is the Dhan, the wealth, the Premodhan of Golok. Your chart has changed. In ordinary astrology, Golok is not one of the planets in there that are factored into the calculation of what your prospect is. Hmm. This is the divine uh, intervention. It's <laughs> and it's a, how does God influence the world? He influences the jivas in the world. He doesn't touch the world either. <laughs> he enters into them. <laughs> They're observing, and he gives them a picture of himself. Hmm. They may turn their attention in his direction. Hmm.
then they become more than observe more than an observer hmm? and they can actually become an active, an active participant in the leela otherwise they're said to be observing and of course identifying misidentifying with the with uh, with what their the picture that's coming back the material world is there it it's it's the it's the it kind of it's that from which conscious impressions come the picture is created and we live in that picture and so forth so all these points are important and they're stressed as we see again here they've just been brought up earlier in the, in the very same chapter hmm? so he says what thus you descend as an avatar to remove the burden of the world and to benefit your friends, especially those who are your exclusive devotees and are wrapped in meditation upon you. So he ends here with what he began. This is like four verses in which Arjuna glorifies Krishna. He ends with, you're the friend of your devotees. That's who you really come for. I'm your devotee. I'm in trouble. Uttar is going to be in trouble here. Parikshit's going to be in trouble. Kunti's troubles are going to be brought up in the next chapter in the lives of the Pandavas and so forth. And how Krishna is there for them. Hmm? This is the main point that is brought out at the introduction of the narrative of Krishna Lila. A huge point. We should have confidence in this. Hmm? Krishna is my maintainer. Krishna is my protector. This is Sharanagati. This is a foundation on which to build a spiritual life. Are there any questions? I, I guess I have a question. It's just it's a little bit not a little off sidetrack, but when you commented that Prabhupada sort of downplayed science to create faith mm-hmm. in his disciples, it also seems that some one of the downsides to that is a lot of his disciples sort of became negative in a way that that's, doesn't look very good in the modern world when they're um, discounting scholarship and things that are actually true and they have a sort of naive outlook or point to modern knowledge or science as if it's um, as if it's beneath them or as if it's Mm-hmm. Not true in its own life. It's not true in the Well, there's a downside to every approach of preaching that is for time and circumstance. When time and circumstance change, then you need to emphasize in a different way and so forth to you know really arrive at the same same point. And the overriding point is, even if you really carefully study Prabhupada's writing, is that the uh, empiric and uh, modern scientific approach to life is not a comprehensive way of arriving at um, a complete uh, knowledge which would make one completely happy. That's really the message. And, and unfortunately, um, that's another uh, f- often effect is that the disciples don't hear the whole thing. And weak faith wants an enemy. So, uh, you know, Modern science becomes the big enemy that they want to fight with, and they're they're actually getting beat up pretty bad. They don't they don't realize it sometimes, um, you know, in 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 discussion and so forth. Um, but that was not really the message. The message was that um, it has its limitations, and uh, like I say, we bow to its accomplishments. To some extent, we live with them. We we, we we live off of them, so we're not even going to be ungrateful. Un- we appreciate them. They're pretty fascinating. Some of them, some of them even are a window to our own theological insight. They seem to confirm sometimes, so we like that. And they, when they seem to not, we don't like that as much. But <laughs> but uh, 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 there's really 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 the the Bhagwat. Cosmology, for example, is really not in competition with modern science. It's a whole different way of talking about the world for a whole entirely different purpose. And what really has to be compared is which way of talking about the world affords humanity more 
ultimately. Hmm? Is, is, is an arrow, you know, of illusory ongoing progress, the target of which is material acquisition, hmm? and everything should be f- focused into that? Is, is that... Um, the uh, the highest prospect for us in, in life, or is there the you know, entering into the within and the eternal return and you know the cyclical time ideas? And so it's very it's very different, hmm. a very different purpose. Hmm. And it's you know it's same idea. You want to they want to they want us to physically prove that the that that's something is that is theoretically is is transcendental is transcendental. How can you physically prove that something that is transcendental that <laughs> that something is how can you physically prove that something is non physical? I <laughs> I'm not sure you can do that. Uh, yeah, how do you how do you empirically prove something that's atopshatya? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So what else? I'm not quite sure I should ask this question, but it does create a kind of a misunderstanding for me when they're talking about the protection of Krishna. Uh, are they referring only to you know 100% surrendered and pure devotees, uh, or are they only referring to subtle protection? Because I do notice that sometimes devotees get hurt during seva. It, uh, it, 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 there are many examples of 100%, as you put it, 108% great devotees having great difficulty, and we're going to hear that. We're already hearing it. Hmm? Arjun had difficulty, um, um, and uh, Uttara, uh, the Pandavas, Kunti's going to be praying about all the troubles that they 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 endured, hmm, and so forth. So even even they are not apparently free from uh, suffering. So how are they protected by Krishna? And then what is the position of those who are not so advanced? How much they, are they protected uh, by Krishna? I guess that's kind of your question, huh? Hmm? Yeah. Uh, I think that uh, it's hard to sort out um, everything um, that uh, when we look at the example of Kunti Devi, for for example, who's coming up in the next chapter, and how she will look at the difficulties in her life, and, and the, we find in the devotees there's a way that gradually they come to look at all their difficulties as something actually positive, hmm? in that it reminds them of Krishna, and reminding them of Krishna ends birth and death, and so forth. So Krishna finds a way even putting the devotees in physical distress, arguably, at times. What to speak of saving them from physical distress? Putting them in physical distress so that they might depend on him that much that, that much more. Exactly, exactly. So the workings and the ways of Krishna in the context of bhakti which would be difficult to sort out all the details. Hmm? But... Um, Ultimately, he protects them them all by way of drawing them closer to him. It is said, there's a famous verse of the Bhagavatam, that if Krishna really loves someone, he makes their life difficult. Hmm? Prabhupada used to quote that because he said, Krishna made my life so difficult hmm? before coming to America and so forth. Yasyahamanubhyami, hmm? So, whereas Lord Shiva said, he's Ashutosh, he's very easily pleased, so he said he gives, you know, whatever they want, you know. Krishna, and, and he's dressed in ashes, and, and Krishna's very opulent, but he he doesn't give anything to his devotees, sometimes he takes things away from them even. Hmm? So, uh, he, he, he's attracted by the love of his devotees, he's in their life as much as they love and, and surrender him, I, surrendered him, I guess you could say. And they have a sense of uh, confidence in that, 
and in time they see it. They don't always see it in the immediate, but they see it in in due course. So no, yeah, devotees may, you know, things may happen to them. The idea is they get hurt, they work. So if, the idea is that um, that with regard to less advanced devotees, we have some karmic implications, but we don't get the full force of them. Let's say by karma you were meant to have your foot cut off and instead you stubbed your toe. Hmm. So you could say, why didn't Krishna protect me from stubbing my toe? You don't know the half of it. <laughs> That's kind of the idea. Something like that. Anything else? Okay, we stop there. Grantara Srimad Bhagavatam Kiryai.